0: Welcome to the Art of Greatness podcast. My name is June Allen from juneallen.net and I teach black women how to heal from addiction to self-hate with racial sobriety and personal empowerment. The information shared on this podcast is for educational purposes. It's based on my experiences and is shared in good faith. So always consult your licensed mental health professional before applying any of the suggestions from me in this podcast. The vision is to help you heal and build your Blackalicious life. Now on with the show. So greetings, greetings families, June Allen here, June Allen here. I am so excited today because we have a guest on today's show. We have a guest, we have a a fellow in recovery that's joining us today. I wanted to sneak in uh, before the end of the month and get a step one, um, get a step one um, session in and um, also I haven't really had the opportunity to um, number one, collaborate with anybody else um on the podcast for quite some time and also i haven't collaborated with anybody in recovery um you know to talk specifically about some recovery stuff so i'm really really excited to um to have Renea on the show today so we can talk about step one we're going to be talking about all things racial sobriety um yeah and just sharing about step one and and you know how yeah just just how we can work through it and just what it means to us and, and how it's an important step step one is such a, an important step so for those of you that are in recovery thinking about recovery or thinking that you may have an addiction um, and you're interested in exploring the whole concept of racial sobriety pause this podcast go make yourself a cup of tea and come back um, because Renee is gonna share some amazing um, her amazing story so Renee welcome to the show Thank you. <laughs> So introduce yourself, just kind of share with the listeners a little bit about um, about who you are. I know you've got, anyway, you share about what, you know, who you are and, and what you do because you've already got a little bit of a platform already, haven't you?
1: Yeah, so my name is Rania, and um, I actually have a platform called My Black Experience. Um, it's a blog, but it hopefully um, grows into... lot more. Mm. Um, The reason why I started it was because I was actually tired of having anxiety whilst writing around my black experience and knowing that it's going to go on to, like, um, publications where the people that were making decisions were white. Mm. I just felt like I couldn't be my authentic black self. Um There was that anxiety of, is it too black? Is it too raw? Is it too this? You know? And I just, I just, I didn't, I just wanted to write in comfort
0: mm. for black people, not on
1: behalf of black people, but for the identification yeah. and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So that's amazing. That's- Yeah, that's amazing. And then exactly, i so identify exactly the same reason why I do what I do. Because when you've got your own platform, nobody can tell you what to say. Nobody can tell you what to write. Nobody can say, oh, well, we're giving you money. So that's why I don't take money for sponsorships and grants and all that kind of stuff. Because I don't want anybody telling me what I can and can't say on my platform. So 100%, you know, agree with that. Um, And where can people, what's your website link? So my website
1: is www.myblackexperience.co.uk.
0: Okay, great. So for anybody listening, I will put a link in the show notes. Um, And you're also on Instagram as well. What's your Instagram handle? Um,
1: At Rania spelled R-I-N-E-Y-A underscore U-M-R-A-N underscore K-A. I've been thinking about...
0: (laughs) Yeah, we'll put it in the show. Anybody that's interested in finding out more about Renee's experience, they'll they'll all be in the show notes anyway. So, um, yeah, just click the link and obviously you'll find out all the details there. So, today we are going to be talking about step one. So, for those of you that are already in recovery, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But for those of you that are not in recovery, um, the 12-step process is for people that are... um, Uh, want to recover from addiction and when we're talking about addictions we're not just talking about substances you know drinking drugs that's kind of what most people think um and you know there is addiction to shopping it can be you can be addicted to people you can be codependent. there's so many different i mean there are recovery fellowships for everything now for for everything but what renee and i want to talk about today is um specifically within the context of racial sobriety, how it impacts us as Black people, and also within the context of living under the system of racism. So um, I'm currently also in the process of writing um, what I'm calling the Black Steps, which is you know the steps it, as it relates to us as Black people. So in that context, step one for us is, um, I've interpreted it as, um, we admitted we were powerless over the impact of racism, um, and dysfunction, that our lives had become unmanageable. So um, in that context, it's about um, the fact that we live under the system of racism, you know, and I think one of the things that, well not that I think, I know, one of the things that is very different about our experience um, is that, you know, a lot of white people can go into recovery, they talk a lot about stuff that's gone on in the past, or it might be a current relationship or whatever, they process it in recovery, and then they can go about their business. They can get on with, you know, by and large, a lot of them can just go and get on with their lives. But for us as black people, it's a very different experience because we're still living under the system of racism. Yes. We're still living under the system of racism. So step one is we put our hands up and say, do you know what? I'm I'm, I'm powerless over racism and the impact it's having over, over my life. And my life is just messed up and I need help, you know? So, you know, I'd love to hear your, you know, your story and your experience around, you know, how you dealt with step one, because that is probably the hardest step, I think, is kind of stepping into the rooms.
1: Yeah, a thousand percent. Um, I'd say, for me, something that I've always found hard, whether it be with substances or the actual system of white supremacy is acceptance, Mm. especially as a black person. And in regards to the word powerless, um, especially with obviously our ancestors coming from being uh, chained and stuff like that. So especially as a black person who supposedly is supposed to be free, um it's hard to accept powerlessness because i i want to feel like i've got some sort of control over my life you know Mm. whereas um when the facts are actually given to me and were really put in my face um i was unable to run away from it so in regards to how racism impacts black people, in regards to the way that we socialize, our housing, um, the media, all of those type of things. um, When I actually really started to look at it and say, okay, there's actually nothing I can do because I'm not in that position. That was when I started to, really understand powerlessness mm. and acceptance over the fact that because I'm not a white supremacist, I don't understand it mm. or I wield that power.
0: Mm. So what was your rock bottom? Did you have a rock was there Was there one incident that kind of that triggered yeah, it? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it was in the rooms. Mm. Uh, I was on a committee and... We had somebody come in, a white male, and um, he was repeatedly telling black jokes, black African jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Seriously? Yeah, yeah. Wow.
1: And it was myself and another black man was on the committee. The rest of the committee was white. And um, brought it up in the committee meeting, and that's when the black guy said... um, he was actually taking one of the meetings, and because he asked somebody to wind up their share, he started to get abuse, and somebody called him a black African bastard. Wow. And that was the first time I heard of it. But I was, I was, I was angry, and I was in a lot of emotion, as you can imagine, you know. And um, what had happened was um, the response that. I got was oh he didn't mean it like that he's just yeah yeah he's just um, an addict like the rest of us and stuff like that and I found myself continuously like saying okay but if his name was Tyrone you would all be saying that you are in fear you don't want to come back to the meetings find a way to get them out of the meeting so what's the difference between this guy and a black man yeah you know and i kept getting the same responses it's the same as the same responses um and i just i felt like i felt like i was breaking down like My whole system had broke down. There were times when I was in bed and I just couldn't move Mm. because um, I was being guided to stay in that situation. But I couldn't take it. And eventually, um, when you don't deal with what's going on mentally, it manifests physically. And a few months later, I ended up with... um, chronic intracranial hypertension
0: mm.
1: so I've got excess fluid on my brain wow and yeah it um, it because comes up when I'm stressed wow yeah so um, during that course when I was um, still doing service in that committee I got three lumber punches within the space of three months and um I just i I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. There was nothing to do or do to um, get these people to understand mm. how it wouldn't it wasn't just affecting myself but any newcomer that was coming in yeah and uh, I know that I personally used to use on um, racial trauma. Mm. So my thing was, imagine a black person coming into the rooms that supposedly says that you're welcome despite ace rage, religion, blah, blah. But then what you're actually coming into is black mockery and it's okay. The newcomer straight back out if they don't have the tools
0: yeah yeah. So, yeah and this is something that um I know a lot of white people struggle, they think because it's recovery that that sort of thing doesn't exist in there, mm-hmm. and you know, I've had experiences in recovery where um you know i've been i've I've been done outreach calls with white people for for years, built relationships yeah. with them this is before I started doing the racial trauma stuff. Um, and as soon as I started having those wanting to have those conversations, cause it's an important part of my recovery. It's an important part of our identity is talking about that stuff. Um, they disappeared. Yeah. The phone would stop ringing. Um, and I just, you know, and then I started hearing from other, other black fellows, you know, somebody even said to me that, um, well, a white person was saying to them, "Oh, well, you know, we shouldn't really bring that into the rooms. We shouldn't really bring that into the rooms." And I think, you know, when we're talking about, because I think you can go, you can go through the steps. I know for me personally, I went through the whole twelve steps. This is before I did any of the racial sobriety work, and the racial sobriety stuff like punched me, like felt like it punched me in the face. Like two, three years after I'd done the, work the steps. Yeah. After, no, no, after I'd, worked, after I'd been in recovery, I'd worked this, it took me about two years to f- completely finish the steps. And mm-hmm. then after another year, that's when I realized, oh my God, I'm black. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm black and I'm in recovery. And like, that was just like another step one. But because there was nowhere to, nobody was really talking about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's really, there was no language. Yes. There was no language. But it's like, like you said, the powerlessness of being around people that just are so committed to not getting it, Mm -hmm. you know? And this is why I've always said that I believe that racism, racism is an addiction to power. I've always said that it's an addiction to power because they, that in order to maintain the power, there's a code, there's like a white code and it's it's not even conscious. Mm -hmm. It's not even conscious. And so what happens, um, what happened to me as a result of that, In me thinking about step one in terms of racial sobriety, it was hard to come out of the denial yes. around other white people. This is why another thing that I've always said is we need to, this is why having black spaces or having other spaces away from white people, that for people of colour or black people or whatever, those spaces are gold dust mm-hmm. because if we don't have those spaces, then I've, I've seen it happen. I've seen the codependency happen with, with black people. You know, I don't know if there was a, there was a convention that I went to a, a few years ago. Um, and actually I was part of, um, I was part of organizing one of the people of color meetings in this particular fellowship. Right. I don't know if you heard about this, but I basically wrote to the committee, the, the, the committee for the convention. I said to them, look, the, the people of color meeting needs to be closed. You can have another yeah. one that's mixed. So white people can attend and whatever, but this this particular meeting needs to be closed in order for it to be safe. And then obviously it's white people running the convention, and they said no. Mm. I was fuming. Mm-hmm. Because even at the, they just they don't. There's, it's just the level of disrespect. Yeah. The level of disrespect, and again, it just goes back to what I was saying. It's an addiction to power. Yes. It's an addiction to power. So the whole thing around step 1 and coming out of denial and admitting the powerlessness it's so it's so loaded the powerlessness the unmanageability because when you think about the nine areas of people activity economics education entertainment labor law politics religion sex and more where can you go where where <laughs> where exactly so yeah. this is this is why the work that we're doing, the fact that you're doing your blog and that you're sharing your experience and you've made a conscious choice to step away from or understanding that you know you're going to have to deal with white supremacy at some level yeah, if you want to publish your your work mm-hmm. in order to do that. It's so important because a lot of, I've, I've seen it happen as well where, um, just going back to the conference, that's it, what I was going to say, um, in the rooms, in the actual the actual room itself, when the meeting actually happened, mm. I literally saw people of colour, black people, sharing their stories, sharing their doing their, their recovery shares. And then I almost they were almost like apologising to the white people in the room for having feelings. And I, it just it just made me so angry. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not I wasn't angry with them for doing it, but it just proved my point that they didn't feel safe. Sharing this, really sharing their stories, feeling like they had to apologize. Like who does that? Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen in any other recovery space, but it's because they didn't feel safe. Yes. You know, so it's like step one has to include those boundaries. Yeah. You know, it has to include those boundaries in order for us to feel safe enough to be able to share. You know, so. Just following on from what you were saying about, you know, what happened in the in the rooms and thank you for sharing that, by the way, because it just goes to show that, you know, there is racism in the recovery rooms. And for anybody who's watching or listening um, that has had issues in the recovery rooms, I, I will put a sh- link in the show notes. There is something that I have around uh, race, dealing with how to deal with racism in the recovery rooms. I don't know if you've seen it, but I have got a thing about, um, you know, how to deal with racism in the recovery rooms and I will put a link, link um, in that. So, like, how have you dealt with it? I mean, going forward now, and obviously the work that you've done um, up to date how how have you dealt with racism in the in the recovery rooms? Well, um do you have a network? do you have a network of people you know of people in the rooms or
1: What I actually did was um find a room that was people of colour that was specifically for people of colour that's one of your rooms um, that I went to and it was like exhaling Mm. for me you know and um, someone said something to me and they said our inability to accept personal responsibility um, we're actually creating our own problems and I was like, right, so mm. I need to get myself from this mm. uh, to get my mental health back to where it needs to kind of yeah. be, basically. And um, for me, that was a surrender, mm.
0: you
1: yeah. know. But it was it was one that was healthy for me.
0: Mm. What does the um, word um? Sorry, finish what you were saying. Then I, I want I just wanted to ask something about surrender about that word. But finish what you were saying, and then I, yeah. Yeah,
1: for me that was like a okay cool. Um, I need to go and look after myself, and I realised that I was it was something that I was really passionate about as well, and mm. I've always had it before. the black
0: experience
1: mm. and centering black people you know um since then i've been asked to um be in different diversity workshops within the fellowship and um
0: diversity diversity <laughs> quote unquote diversity is that yeah. mean we're just going to put a token black person in right. there And just so we can tick the box. But are they really doing the work?
1: Exactly. So um, um, I went to one of the workshops and I just called it out. And I was like, wow, good. You've got three white women leading this diversity and inclusion workshop. And whilst I was outside, like you were saying, um, where there were fellows that were apologising for their blackness before mm. the actual meeting started there was somebody that was in the room for years with a long term of um, sobriety calling himself a gollywog to make them feel comfortable wow. and that made him, and I said as long as this is ca- um, carrying on please don't expect me to be a part of it because I'm not actually hearing what you're doing to dismantle the, the racism that's in these rooms.
0: Mm.
1: If black people can't feel comfortable enough to be them, their true selves in front yeah. of you. And I just, I left, you know. And um, one of, like, my uh, grand sponsors said, you know, it's best if you don't put yourself in those situations because they know that you are outspoken.
0: Yeah.
1: They know that they can probably try and get you to be the token black person and just... Mm. Dis- and I just, I don't have time for it anymore, and, um, in that particular fellowship, people don't really, they're very careful with what they say to me.
0: Mm. But then know you'll call it out. Yeah, type of thing.
1: Um, and I think it, that just comes from me being tired.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Please don't say what I to me because I don't say what on to you. Wow. You know I don't find
0: it funny. Mm. Why do you find it funny? Yeah. Why do you think that's okay? Yeah. Why do they think it's okay? It's not a bonding. You know, it's not a bonding exercise. Do you know what I mean? It's no. Just don't. Just do it.
1: So now I'm more like question behaviors and um things that are said to me rather than working myself up and getting like emotional about it Mm. even if i am emotional about it i take it to like
0: outreach
1: Mm. or or yeah that works for me
0: yeah yeah no it, it has to be done um it really has to be done and just kind of just kind of going back to what you were saying about surrender, what kind of um what was what kind of got triggered in me was I've always found that word really triggering, actually, as a black person. Yeah. Because I know they say, you know, in step one, you have to surrender to the program, you have to surrender to the suggestions, you have to surrender to, you know, trust the process and all of that kind of stuff. But that word surrender, mm. to me, it triggers feelings of like we're already I feel like you know white supremacy is already on our neck yes so what you want me to surrender again now yes you want me to surrender again now I've already got white supremacy on my neck what like and even now I talk about it and I can feel myself kind of like I just don't like that word Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean it's 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 hard it's hard to think about to think about that um and so for me, I almost like to think about that whole idea of, of sur- kind of saying surrender into the program, but to kind of have acceptance around, okay, I can't control the system. Mm-hmm. I can only control my response to it. I can't control the system. I can't control white people that choose consciously or unconsciously to practice white supremacy. I can't control those people. Yeah. But for me, the, the, when I say surrender, it almost feels like that concept around learned helplessness. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? It feels like that thing around learned helplessness, and it's just like that doesn't it doesn't feel empowering to say the word surrender. Not for me. What do yeah. you What do you think?
1: Do you know what? I totally agree with you. I think there's quite a few words in in the fellowship that are quite triggering, especially for Black people. The first time I heard surrender, I was like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> for those of you that are listening, she just pulled a really, really kind of like meme face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thought to myself, "Hold on, like it—it it, it took me back to um, to physical slavery. That's yeah. what it took me back to. I got that type of feeling, and yes. uh, so when I said I surrendered to, like, you know, what was going on for me, like my mental health and stuff." It was understanding okay, this isn't good for me. Mm. I need to accept that this isn't good for me,
0: yeah.
1: And me staying, I'm actually causing my own pain Mm. about my pain, yeah. You know, so it was about like you know, accepting that I need to take care of myself now,
0: Mm. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But I, I also. Get triggered by the word
0: surrender, and I've yeah. written about. You've written about it as well. Yeah. Oh, how you funny. Blog want... yeah. post. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of like two layers to it. I think there's the there's the one thing about the slavery thing, like what you said, the kind of le- the physical surrender of our ancestors, but also the surrender in terms of, the dysfunction you know the internalized racism the internal surrender that we've had to have in a lot of our dysfunctional families real talk yeah yes you know so it's like number one we've had to deal with the you know the the literal um surrender in terms of our ancestors being enslaved and that kind of that fear around that we can't show up as our true selves because of yeah. what white people are going to do um obviously we're not we're not physically shackled anymore but emotionally we're still shackled and then having to deal with the fact that a lot of us have had to surrender to the internalised racism that's yes. been perpetuated within our families. So yes. to hear the word surrender and knowing that we've, we've, we're having to deal with trying to come out of that, um, having either white supremacy on our necks or our families, you know, dysfunctional family systems yes. on our necks. You yes. know, so, so that word surrender is something that it is. I find it is painful. It is, yeah. You know, it's painful. Um, so yeah, I, I just found that found that really really hard. I just found it really really hard. So when we talk about step one, now we're talking about the whole thing around unmanageability as well. You know that our lives have become unmanageable. Um, it's something that, like for me, I still can't. Comprehend. I think that whole word is something that has to be done in in little baby steps as well. Because if you think about the nine areas of people activity that we that we um, briefly touched on earlier, the unmanageability that happens as a result of all of that oppression is is a is a lot to take on. And I th- I think that's why a lot of people d- don't really want to do this work. Yes. Because if you don't have a safe space to talk about it, or you're not in recovery, or you're not seeing a therapist or, you know, a, a trauma-informed, culturally competent therapist, Yeah. what are you going to do with all of that stuff?
1: hmm
0: What are you going to do with it? You know? And I really believe that this is why so many of us have got... have issues with mental health, because I think a lot yeah. of it, number one, is unconscious, so we don't even know that that's what's going on. Yeah. Um. But I think that's why so many of us have got mental health issues, and why so many of us suffer with addiction and stuff. Because we, we the, all of this stuff is going on, and it's ancestral, it's current, it's the family yeah. stuff, it's all of that stuff mixed in. But because a lot of us are not aware of it, mm-hmm. it just comes out, you know, you know, in our mental health.
1: Yes, thousand percent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so what what does unmanageability kind of, like, mean for you in terms of your your recovery around step one?
1: So unmanageability for me is when I'm trying to control everything and it just gets overwhelming.
0: Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. You know,
1: especially when I'm in that space where I'm trying to control white supremacy and I can't,
0: Mm. so what would you what sort of things would you do you do to try and control it
1: i try i actually do try and stop and pull myself back um and write down my emotions around it because okay. that's it my emotion. my problem is my emotions dealing with those
0: mm
1: not acting out from those
0: mm.
1: you know and I think because as a black person I am so triggered by the system I want
0: to act out because mm. it's you painful know? and but, uh, it's like painful. an outlet you want the outlet to be able to oh yeah yeah it's Painful, and you, you also
1: know that if you act out, you're gonna get reprimanded for it, whether you're right or
0: wrong. The angry black woman, black people are this, black people are aggressive, black yeah. people are that. Yeah, and nobody, yeah. white people, understand trauma when we're talking about when they're talking about themselves. Mm-hmm. Or if they're talking about, you know, they've just recently had all this stuff about the, the Holocaust and, and all the rest of it. They understand mm-hmm. intergenerational trauma and they're empathetic and when they're talking about all of that. People who've been in, you know, war zones, they're very empathetic when it comes to all of that. percent. But when it comes to black people and the fact that we've had the other day, mm-hmm. I worked out that Jamaica, I don't know where, you, where your parents are from, but Jamaica were colonised, OK, were colonised by white people, by white supremacists, for 340 years, mm. right? 340 years that my ancestors in Jamaica were colonised, including chattel slavery, OK? So, white people can understand trauma when it's, when it's related to them, but when we, talk, we start talking about the trauma that our... And that's not even included the trauma that they experienced once so-called emancipation happened. Exactly you know, but we're supposed to just get over it. Yeah. And if we act, there seems to be less empathy when, you know, when we act out. Yes. You know, this is something that that really helped me in my recovery, actually, because before I started doing this work, it was sometimes quite hard for me to be empathetic to other Black people because I was so triggered by it, by other Black people acting out. Now I understand that it's it's pain. It is pain. It's pain. You know? And I think the recovery rooms it's such a shame because the recovery rooms are such a powerful I mean they gave me my foundation, you know. Yeah. Like, there would be no racial sobriety if I didn't do those if I didn't do the work in those rooms. But I yeah. think what's really powerful now is the fact that there are people like you and I who are starting to use what we've learned in recovery and applying it to our black experience and then paying that stuff forward by creating platforms, our own platforms where mm-hmm. we can speak our truth um, yep. and that people can get awareness around yep. this stuff um, and not be ashamed to speak up. And if you, if you speak up in, in, in these spaces and you're not being heard, um, then to walk away than to walk away and set up your own platforms. Do you know how... It is so painful for me to watch people like Afua Hirsch and some of these other people that keep going into these spaces with people like Piers Morgan. And oh God. they just slaughter them. It is painful. It's, it's
1: painful. painful. Because you can see the own... Like, they know what they're doing. Of course they do. And that they're getting pleasure from their pain. It's really... That simple. Yeah. White supremacy, that's what it is, it's, it's, it's getting, pl- having the power to get pleasure out of other people's pain. Yeah. So seeing, seeing, yeah, as you said, the sister uh, of harsh, like, going through that all the time, it's like I, it's like you want to go and help her and scream and pull her, her out. And
0: just say stop doing that to yourself. <laughs> Stop doing that to yourself, Afua. Yeah, it's um, and I not you know, I it always baffles me to to, you know, to kind of, I'm intrigued by why she keeps subjecting herself to it because those people are not interested in mm-hmm. understanding it; they're interested in destroying, you know, her. Yeah. what she's saying, um, and even like on, on my platform, I'm very clear who I'm talking to. You know, I had mm-hmm. there was a white woman on my page that came on my page the other day and um I put something up about black women. Um black women come together to do something and you know her her line underneath was more about white women and I thought to myself, you really?
1: <laughs> How dare you enter me?
0: Yeah. And I just you know, I just I just wrote back to her, look, you know, my bio says that my page is for Black women. I'm very clear about that, and I'm not going to apologise for it. And I said, also said to her, look, my page is for Black women. The my narrative is for Black women. But if you, as a white woman, want to learn, because I do, I have had white women say that to me before. Oh, I, you know, I follow your page because you know I'm white, but I, you know I find your stuff really interesting. But then they get triggered. And yeah. I said to her, look, if you really want to learn about this stuff, then you need to go to such and such as page. Go yeah. to Robin D'Angelo's page. Go to yeah. there's another um, amazing woman called Layla Said. Okay. Layla Saad, I'll I'll um I'll i t- I'll tag you on her thing. She her narrative is specifically for white people. Right. Yeah. Yeah? So yeah. I always redirect white people to those pages because they come to my page going, Oh, I wanna learn and then they get triggered. Yes. You know? And it's like this page is not for you. You know, so I think, you know, just kind of going back to the step one thing and and kind of because I think, you know, on this journey of racial sobriety, I think the rock bottoms and the going back to step one is something that is ongoing. (laughs) It's something that is ongoing. Yeah. You know, Um, and I think step one really is about establishing the boundaries. It's about coming out of the denial. It's about having acceptance around the magnitude of what we're dealing with, but also having the peace of mind to go, do you know what, I just need to focus on today. Yes. And I need to get those boundaries in place. I need a network. I need a support network because I think that trying to go out and do, you know, there is so, the whole thing around white supremacy, it's such a loaded conversation. Huge. Honestly, it will twist up your head if you try and think about it do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's going to twist yeah. up your head if you try and take all of it's it up. on. Yeah. So I it, think, it you is. know, it is important to just to show up in the spaces that feel safe and yeah. also to not assume that all black people are doing this work.
1: Do you know what? You've hit the nail on the <laughs> head. Because <laughs> they're not. Hit the Because na- that's also painful as well. Yeah. When you see black people that... Um, like, what are you talking about? What do yeah. you mean white supremacy in your life?
0: Really? <laughs> you, you know? Yeah.
1: We should talk about it, no? And that's, it's painful.
0: Yeah.
1: Painful. The yeah. whole thing is painful. Yeah. But it's about where you can find a little bit of peace.
0: Mm.
1: Acknowledge that, you know. And I'm, I'm do you know what, I'm really grateful, um, to you because without the spaces that you have created and the platforms that you have created I don't think I would have had the confidence to do it
0: oh wow thank you for saying that it's true
1: like we need we need people like yourself who leads by serving our community
0: Mm.
1: you know so I'm
0: very grateful and very thankful for you. Mm, I really appreciate you saying that. And it's, it's you know, it's hard because, trust me, I ran away. I, ran away. I didn't want to do this work. I was like, can I better, please, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be visible. You know, I'm scared of the trolls. I'm scared of white people. Trust me, I didn't want to do this work, but I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And even though it's painful and even though sometimes it can be isolating, I do also, there's a lot of freedom as well in doing this work. The freedom in step yeah. one is that, you know what, I'm not by myself.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, that's, yeah. That, that, that is the freedom of, of taking step one, it, you know, when you start to build a network and, you, and thank God for the internet.
1: Mm. Thank God
0: for the internet and because, I you know, I never would have found your blog or whatever without, without you doing the work that you do as well. And I think the internet really is going to be the thing that is really going to anchor our healing in and out of the rooms, you know, because at the end of the day, these are things that white people can't police. I mean, yes, obviously, if they want to, they can, Instagram can shut down my account if they want to. um, Mm. But I have an email list. Yeah. You know, Facebook can shut down my account if they want to. But I have an email list, you know, and I can still nurture my audience if I want to, and the internet has given us the platform to be able to do that, you know, yeah, and, and I think that's really powerful. It
1: is, it is, and it's, like, it's it's beautiful, Um, especially on, like, places like Instagram where you're able to find other black people that are doing the work.
0: Yeah, and they're, so are, they're out there.
1: And focus on that mm. rather than people that aren't type of thing. And exactly. And when they
0: ready they can find us yeah yeah and that's what and that's what's important and that's what I that's what I, I I know in my spirit if sometimes I you know sometimes it can be discouraging because you know there is so much stuff on social media and you know, every time I my social media there's black people getting abused there's black people getting you know and it just feels relentless yeah it just feels relentless but you know what there is something about black people and their spirit, like. You mean to tell me we've been through all of them hundreds of years of trauma and we're still standing up here? Yeah. <laughs> like, we ain't going nowhere. No. Nah. We ain't going nowhere. We just don't do that. No. <laughs> we just so, don't disappear. yes, we, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Yes, a lot of us are struggling with mental health. Yeah. Mm. But you and I are testament to what's possible.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, the work is getting out there. There are people that are connecting online. There are people that are finding the strength to speak up. We are creating platforms and spaces that are bounded, that we can have our, our conversations without white gays. Yeah. The, the, the spaces are being created, you know? So when people are ready to kind of step into that step one, to step into the, the, the truth about their unmanageability and, and to step out of denial and all of that, the spaces are there and I think yes. we've just got to focus on, I know for me, I've tried to focus more on the leg- legacy as well. It's not about what I'm saying, it's about what have I learned and what can I, how can I serve today? How can I serve well, those people that don't know anything about me? Not yeah. necessarily about me personally, but about the work.
1: Yes.
0: You know, how can I serve those people that, you know, might be addicted to drugs, but those black people that are addicted to drugs but don't understand that the reason why they keep relapsing is because the the vulnerability of what it means to be a black person living under the system of racism yes do you know what i mean the, the drugs and the alcohol and obviously this might not be for everybody but the, for me when i think about addiction in terms of a lot of black people the reason why i keep rel- relapsing why we keep acting out is because we're still living under the system of racism we're still in pain Still in a lot of pain. Still in pain you know so it's about having an outlet you know it's not going to happen overnight the healing but it's about us having an outlet to be able to share our pain where it feels safe mm-hmm. you know it's about having a safe space to be able to to be able to do that so um, and
1: it's so important
0: yeah yeah it's important. Hundred percent. It's hundred percent really, and that, that's what saved me in the beginning, having those, having you know, creating the spaces and having those conversations with, with other black fellows, um, and like you said, you know, I've paid it forward. You've picked yeah. up a baton, you know, and you're you're doing the same thing, and you're sharing your experience. And the more of us that are out there, sharing this yeah. stuff, again, like you said, when other people are ready, because I know that there's quite often people that are lurking. You know, there's yes. people that people that are lurking and watching and reading and, and all of that and maybe they're not ready. Maybe they might be ready in six months. But yeah. it's for you and I just to keep doing the work and to keep being honest so that when those yeah. people are ready, there's somewhere for them to go, you know? Um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll finish. We'll leave it there, I think, actually. I mean, is there any other thing that you wanted to... to come, What would you like to leave the listeners with in terms of step one and, and your experience? Um.
1: <clears throat> I'd say it's 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 practice. Everything is practice, not perfection. Mm. You know, um, get into as much black healing spaces as you can, because yeah. there's a there that's gonna uplift you and give you the power to do what you actually need to do. Mm. You know. And I think it gets it gets easier once you realise that you're not just doing this stuff for yourself. Yeah. It's not just being yourself. You know, you are all black people. We are yeah. all black yeah. people. So um yeah, it was done for us, so just have to keep doing it.
0: Yeah. Keep doing yeah. it. No, thank you for sharing that. And that, you know, that's a really great thing to end on, actually, is um, the irony of doing the personal work is that actually when you free yourself, you automatically free the community. Yes. It's, you don't have to go out there and be a Black Panther. You don't have to go, you know, you're just in okay. the act of doing the work yourself, that in of itself, by default, you actually free the community because you end up having better relationships. When you understand yourself a lot more, you understand other people, you have more empathy. Um and yeah. it just happens as a it's a byproduct of doing the own doing your own work and i'm I'm always saying that you know you have to to do the work yourself before you can um you know it has an impact on the community your your parenting everything your friendships relationships um mm-hmm. so yeah, I know it's really good so just thank you so much for um for agreeing to come on the podcast um today it's been it's been really great sharing and and connecting. Um, for those of you that um, want to find out some more, um, I will obviously put all of the links and everything in the show notes, so you can find out more. Uh, obviously, um, go on Instagram and follow all that good, all that good stuff. And um, yeah, no, it was good. So thank you so much for joining. And thank you. Um, I'm sure we can yeah we'll hang out and uh, do something next time. All right, take care. Thanks everyone for listening. And I shall speak to you next time. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by the Yard of Greatness Living in Love program, an online healing support group and mentorship program for black women who are ready to dive deep, explore and manifest all aspects of love, self-love, relationship love, divine love, love for your culture, love for your inner child and so much more. These are just a few of the topics we'll be discussing throughout 2020 using Bell Hook's amazing book All About Love to anchor the topic of conversation. If you are truly ready to do the internal work to increase your confidence, have more self awareness, reduce isolation within our supportive community, and build stronger boundaries, if you're truly ready to build a deeper, amazing connection with yourself and others, then join the Living in Love programme. All of this black Alicious lovage will be delivered to you via live Sister Circle support sessions, heartwork journal prompts, a video vault, and amazing private community. Join the Living Love program today. Go to love. June that's love dot that's love dot I'll see you on the other side bye